Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Last week, we were talking about the topic of it's okay. Uh, that is bringing a sense of equanimity and um, perspective on whatever we happen to be experiencing that allows us to uh, to open up to it, to not struggle with it, to not fight our experience. And this is one way to hold all those difficult emotions that we've been talking about, like fear and uh, restlessness and, and doubt and uh, attachment and aversion, that if we can get this space of okayness with the moment, of balance with it, then that struggle is, uh, is eliminated in that moment. Not that you like what's happening, but you're not uh, in contention with it. And I... Um, mentioned at the end of the the talk that one one strategy or um, helpful factor in bringing an okayness to the moment is that of investigation or curiosity that's not simply allowing for it to be here, but actively, I shouldn't say actively, uh, a, a kind of exploring quality that wants to understand, that's curious. And so I encouraged you from last week to this week to look at your life and different situations you find yourself in with this quality of investigation. Just curious. How many people played around with that from last week to this week? Okay, so a few of you. I'll, I'll be interested to, to see what you discovered. So I'd like to talk tonight about curiosity and investigation. It's something that we all have. It's not that there's a, a corner on the market that some people have it and others don't. If you've been a child, and I think everybody here has been a child, if not still are children, I kind of see us all as children in big bodies. It doesn't change much, uh, just the outward appearance, maybe a little bit of information and socialization. But that innate quality of childlike wonder that wants to take in the whole world that yearning to grow, yearning to learn, wanting to understand, it's in all of us. We sometimes forget about it or um, dismiss it or get a little bit um, overwhelmed by just dealing with our lives to... Um, to explore, to look carefully. But when we do, there's this show going on all the time. So how does this quality of curiosity work? How does it relate to your practice? How can we bring it more into our lives? First, I just want to mention about a kind of paradox around curiosity in relationship to practice. This has to do with some formal Buddha Dharma teachings of the Buddha. Sometimes curiosity is, uh, is seen to be related to restlessness. There can be a, a restless quality of curiosity that, that is flitting about, that wants to, uh, to look outside of ourselves. 
In fact, it's, it's one of the ten fetters um, in that sense. There are ten fetters, fetters or obstacles to freedom if you follow the formal model of the, um, uh, the path of, uh, of insight and awakening. Where there are four stages of freedom or enlightenment. The ninth fetter after anger and uh, attachment and doubt and um, lots of other ones. The ninth fetter, I can go through all of them if you want, but it's you know, I, one more list to, to let go of. Yeah. The ninth fetter is, curi- is talked about as restlessness, but it's really this quality of somehow looking outside of ourselves for peace, somehow being drawn outside. And when there's the fully awakened being, one way to describe that, that being is the fetter of restlessness is no longer present or operative where there's a completeness within ourselves, when there's, there's not a reaching out, there's a, simply a wholeness of, of presence. There's no more needing to know but rather a completion within. This is the, the next to last thing to go before the last fetter, which is ignorance, which is forgetting what's happening, which is a moment where you, there's no mindfulness. Okay. This is a fully enlightened being. So in that respect, curiosity would seem to be an obstacle to our awakening. But in another way, it is a prerequisite to awakening. It is one of the factors of enlightenment, one of the seven factors of enlightenment, investigation, along with this one. I'll I'll, I'll go through this list since you might as well get the good stuff. Um, along with mindfulness, there's investigation, energy or effort, joy or rapture, calm, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Prerequisites or uh, factors of enlightenment. Investigation has to be there because if you if you aren't interested in growing, it doesn't happen, uh, or it, it happens in a lot slower way than a full-on exploration. It's sometimes called the wisdom factor in that sense. Like, uh, like the Buddha's quest, where he wasn't satisfied with where he was at in his, in his journey of development and awakening, that He wouldn't be content with learning from the teachers that he was with. He knew there was more, and he kept on looking. So you use this quality of exploration until you understand fully. And then when you understand, not that you're you're not interested as things present themselves, but there's not this yearning to look outside. So I ha- one one uh, way to, under, to understand this paradox is as the Buddha gave the example of using a raft to get to the farther shore. You need the raft and then when you get to the other shore you don't keep carrying the raft around your head as you walk on your way. Well, it's the same thing with mindfulness and investigation. It's essential. Sometimes investigation is a kind of active exploration where you're trying to um, 
with a lot of energy, understand what's going on, actively exploring. That can be useful at times. But more often than not, a deep investigation is not so much trying to figure things out. It's more often reflecting in a kind of receptive, intuitive way, kind of listening to your experience rather than dissecting it. I like to talk about this kind of investigation or curiosity where you're subtly listening to the truth, tuning into the truth, and in some respects letting the truth come to you, not forcing it, but being open to it. You can hear the, the difference between listening and um, going after experience. It's a receiving of it. And when that happens, it, there's a, a sense of relaxing into your highest wisdom. You know, sometimes when you just get a message inside, and it's not something that you've tried to figure out, but it just comes to you, and you're there for it. You can't take much credit for being so brilliant, but it's rather your openness to hear the truth as it comes through you. The, the whole process of insight, for instance, doesn't usually happen as you're trying to figure things out. So if you have a kind of idea of what's going on and, and then you check out to see if you're right, all you end up doing is patting yourself on the back and saying, boy, how clever I am, I really got it. <laughs> I know that one. But when you have a real insight, uh, an aha experience, aha, look at that. It's rather letting it come through you. Do you understand what, I, what I'm talking about? So, this quality of investigation, to let it be more a quality that you receive the truth. And one useful way to receive the truth is to simply be interested in what's going on. It's not so hard to pay attention when you're interested in what's happening. Like for me, when I go home and watch the Cal basketball game, right? You know, I don't need to be cajoled you know, to pay attention. It's great. And whatever it is for you, whether it's reading a book or doing a project or uh, doing a hobby or playing an instrument, you know, when it's fun, it's easy to pay attention. Mindfulness makes things more interesting. When you are not so distracted and you simply uh, give a presence, a full-on um, connection to what's going on, almost anything is interesting. If you can get down to that subtle level, the example that I, I often give is um, something that I used to do as a kid and Probably many people here have this common experience. When I was a, a child, and I still do it sometimes now, would sometimes look at a shaft of sunlight coming through the window. And when I'd look quietly, and I wasn't distracted by other stuff, noticing the dust dancing around. You ever do that? Now, if somebody asked you what you were doing and you said, oh, I'm watching dust, it doesn't sound very exciting. But when you've got that quality of attention, it's this fascinating dance in front of you. The key ingredient 
is being undistracted and taking a look. Ah, this is interesting. Usually, we just pay attention and are interested when it grabs us, when there's entertainment there, like, you know. How basketball games. Yeah. Or movies, or, or books, or um, um, delightful conversation, or an interesting talk. Um, it not gets you here. What? Not but not the breath. Yeah. Because the breath is a kind of neutral experience on the surface. But, as anybody who's done a retreat knows, when the mind starts to quiet down a bit, and there's a centeredness with it, the breath can be the most fascinating thing in the world. I can very vividly in my mind put myself on the cushion at certain moments in, in my life and just each breath being this magical experience and just thinking you know, why would anyone need drugs or need need anything else wow this breath is so complete breathing in and out that usually requires a fair amount of concentration but the way it works is as the concentration gets, as the mindfulness gets stronger, the concentration gets deeper, and as that happens, things become more interesting, and you want to take a look, and the mindfulness gets stronger and stronger, and then the wisdom uh, emerges. So that's where it's this spiraling of, of depth and investigation. Um, that's why at the beginning of a retreat, it's, it takes a while to settle in and you just say, oh, what's going on here? Why did I sign up for this thing? And then after a few days, you say, wow, look what's going on. That's not usually accessible to us. And at the beginning, especially if you haven't done it before, you have to almost trick yourself into thinking this is a worthwhile activity that this is somehow interesting. But having a, a taste of it, even if it's not so available to you at the beginning of a retreat, you remember. Somehow it's in your mind, yeah, it got pretty fascinating after a little while. This is worth my attention, even if it seems very neutral. Even if it's just lifting my foot and then putting it down. It's like fasting a bit. At the beginning, you're hungry for food and you want some spices or some strong tastes. And after a while, when you clean yourself out, the taste of, a, of an avocado can be quite spectacular. In the same way, when you do the quieting practice, you fast from the overstimulation and you get to more subtle levels of, of exploration and being drawn in. And when that starts to happen, you bring a curiosity to each moment. There's fascinating questions that start to uh, spin around in the mind. Like, what's going on here anyway? <laughs> How did I get here? How did I get in this body? That how, does, how do we get in these bodies that, that know how to take care of themselves for the most part or try their best to and know how to heal themselves, know how to digest plants and animals if you put them down your down your mouth and turn them into energy and keep you moving around and let you see and hear and, uh, and smell and taste and touch and feel and think. How's all this going on? That can spur the quality of investigation tremendously. Not that you're necessarily even going to get an answer. It's pretty hard to get an answer to those those questions, but simply to 
have that as the, the spark of exploration in the moment. Ah, there's something going on here that's astounding in its scope. Let me just pay attention a little bit. Or some other reflections as I was putting, this, uh, putting these thoughts down that have been going around in, in my mind lately. What is love? What is love about? How is it that we can feel this quality, not just an attraction to other beings, but a sense of connection with all of life that fills the heart, that, that, um, that opens up in a place of warmth and, and caring. What is that about? We didn't have to be born with that. How many different expressions of, of love there are for love to know itself? What's going on here? Just as a, a little digression on, on this, uh, every now and then I, I bring this, this book out to, uh, to share. The Universe is a Green Dragon. Uh, it's a wonderful book that's a celebration of of life and this, these mind-boggling um, questions. He talks about love as the quality of allurement, the basic property in the universe of things being attracted to other things. That's it. Our galaxy is attracted by every other galaxy in the universe, and our galaxy attracts every other galaxy. The attracting activity is a stupendous and, and mysterious fact of existence. Primal. We awake and discover that this alluring activity is the basic reality of the macrocosmic universe. <clears throat> Bring to mind all the allure allurements filling the universe of whatever complexity or order. The allurement we call gravitation, that of electromagnetic interactions, chemical attractors, allurements in the biological and human worlds. It talks even about the quality of interest as allurement. What makes us be drawn to something? Why do you like a certain piece of music? Why are you fascinated by some subject or some person? It's all the same force operating through us. The same force that holds the galaxy together and connecting it with other galaxies holds the solar system together, holds us on the earth holds our body together, holds the little cells in our body that somehow need to work and, and find a way to, to fit, work together, holds the atoms in the cells together. It's happening all over the place. And we, on our level, in this one little spectrum of reality call that force love. This wanting to merge, wanting to feel the interconnectedness which is the basic reality of the universe. Sometimes I, I think of the cells in our body as a whole world inside. And sometimes they get along Sometimes they don't, and this is, and they're at war with enemies. And this is very much like us being on the planet Earth. In my mind, I think of Earth talking to Mars or Jupiter and saying, "You know, what kind of a day did you have today? You know, you wouldn't believe what's going on inside me. Yeah. When, when is my body going to get together?" 
or our solar system talking with another, or our galaxy talking with another, and then really get out there. This is thoughts, I used to have these thoughts a lot when I was a kid, just seeing the whole universe as one big organism, to us, one big organism, that was really an atom in some other vast expanse, you know, and somehow have it convoluted back on itself so that it gets back into the smallest thing. Who knows what's going on here? When you start to think about it, boggles the mind. But that shouldn't be discouraging. It's kind of exciting. Wow, how much there is to know. Getting back to our level of curiosity and investigation, just coming back to planet Earth now, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Uh, To have investigation and curiosity, it requires courage. Besides these cosmic kinds of reflections, there's the more mundane reflections to know what's in our heart, to be able to face things that are new to us, to get new understandings. It takes some courage, because the typical response when things are a little bit heated is, I don't want to look at this. Again, the paradox is, when you look at it, it's not nearly as frightening because you're coming directly into relationship with it. You're not putting energy in keeping it away. And actually, when we let ourselves experience what's going on, it might be unpleasant, but it's usually bearable. This is one of the... um, the great lessons that people get from practice, just seeing the possibility of opening up to their fears and seeing how fear is, is not a problem. That when you come directly into it, you're not adding that extra, that extra quality of fearing the fear. But it does take some courage. It takes some faith also that this wouldn't be a catastrophe if we open up to it. Some kind of trust in the process, some kind of trust that there is this natural unfolding, that you're right where you should be to wake up. And as that trust is acted upon, leads to a sense of confidence, which increases the courage. And it also requires a spirit of adventure. A lot of us like things to be safe, not to upset the apple cart. I I once heard this uh, motivational speaker say that most people are quite content with a C average in their life. If they just kind of get through their life without too many disasters. That's, that's it. And then there are these adventurous souls who just go for it and say, oh, well, why not? You know, and the people who are just content to play it safe look at the other ones and say, wow, how can they do that? Wow, look at them do that. Whereas it's really fun once you get the knack of going for it, of discovering. It's, uh, another uh, thought that's, that's like that, I, I think I've mentioned this uh, at one time or another, this, um, this survey done by the New York Times, I think it was, on people having transcendent experiences. Uh, they, they took a survey, have you ever had an unexplainable cosmic experience, something you couldn't quite fit into your, your reality as you saw it. And um, 40% in this particular study of the people who were questioned said that they had. 
And of that 40%, 85% of that group said that they don't want to have that any, any time again. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Maybe the numbers are changing over time. That was from maybe 20 years ago. It's too freaky to think that you can't explain the universe. So, much, so many of us want to have everything in a nice, neat um, textbook kind of understanding. But in a way, I just find it exhilarating to think how much there is that we don't know. This spirit of adventure, it leads us on to curiosity when we can tap into it. And again, I think it's something that that most of us have in a natural way. We just forget at times. The power of curiosity, as I was starting to talk about last week, is has a number of different levels. When you're curious, when you want to explore and discover, especially when things are tricky and challenging, difficult, it changes your relationship to the experience from one of resignation. You know, sometimes people think, okay, I've come a long way. I'm not fighting my experience. I just, I accept it. That's one level, and it's a very important level. It's a big shift. But when you're resigned, when you accept and are simply tolerating the experience, it's so easy for aversion to creep in. Just a moment again. Okay, I accept it. Oh, God, this is hard. (laughs) Oh, yeah, all right, I accept it again. I'll just kind of grin and bear it. But when it flips over to curiosity, there's a big shift. Because when you're curious, when you're exploring, there's no room for aversion. There can't be. In that moment that you're exploring, you can't have aversion because you want to discover. So it's a tremendously opening quality when you simply have that spirit of adventure and discovery and the courage and faith to explore. And when that happens, when you allow for, for things in, a, in an interested way, then again, another power of it is it allows for the natural unfolding of experience. As we've talked about many times, when you have aversion to experience, you want it to go away, you just are feeding it energy and locking it in, giving it life so that it becomes more and more substantial and, and real. And then it seems to stay. God, when is this anger going to go? And then you get angry at the anger, and so of course you have more anger. You're just feeding it. But if you bring a curiosity to it, if you're exploring it, everything has its own natural lifespan, including these difficult emotions like anger or fear or, uh, or craving or joy or doubt or whatever it is. And you simply allow it to run its own natural course without you interfering because you've given it space to be here not only given it space, but are looking for it. Sometimes it's amazing when you start to look for your fear and welcome it, say, come on, fear, where are you? Mm-hmm. It's nowhere to be found. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Or you look for your anger, say, okay, anger, come on, let's just make friends. I want to know you. I really want to become familiar with you and you have that welcoming attitude towards it, it's gone. Where did it go? Sometimes people think they're fooling themselves or, or tricking themselves or somehow 
denying their experience by being mindful. Well, I was mindful of it, but then it went. You know? Am I fooling myself? No, you're not. It's just that quick how it changes when you allow for it to be how it is. In a moment of curiosity, there's that allowing and there's that free flow and unfolding. And this allows for the investigation to truly become the wisdom factor. Because what it reveals, what I just mentioned, it reveals how impermanent everything is. And this is a profound understanding. Anicca, impermanence, as it's called. The whole of the Buddha's teaching is based on that simple fact. Everything is changing. This is a basic law of the universe. And one, when one discovers that for oneself, not just intellectually, and not just once or twice experientially, but enough so that it's deep in your gut, deep in the way you perceive experience, there's not that sense of panic. There's not that sense of desperation when things start to change. You understand the law of the universe. Nothing to hold on to. And that leads to the next great wisdom that the investigation reveals. And that is, if you try to hold on to something in this fleeting world of experience, you're going to suffer. This is called dukkha, suffering. Because everything is changing, how can you fix experience? How can you hold on to it? And so there's more of, a, of an allowing, of a willingness to just be here for the show rather than trying to control it or fix it. And along with those two understandings of impermanence and suffering or the unreliability of experience comes the deep insight of selflessness. <coughs> that you are part of this whole changing process. That you're not a separate static entity which is perceiving life, but that life is happening through you. Not to you, it's happening through you, and you are this constantly changing process. In this form, you are this locus of consciousness and physicality that's called me. That we forget through this, what Einstein called it an optical delusion of consciousness, that somehow there is some sense of an abiding self. And then, as that starts to be seen through, there's the connection with all of life, like I was just saying, with the cells and the atoms and the beings and the planet and the solar system. We're simply one other manifestation of this living process. And that really shifts the way you perceive reality. It puts the whole thing in a sense of ease and flow. And the drama can still be played out, but with a whole different attitude. Because it's just life happening. Life knows how to take care of itself, even if we don't. So that's how this investigation starts to reveal things. Simply by looking, by looking at what's true. By looking at your experience and having the courage to do it, having the, the faith that it's okay, having the openness and the interest to discover what's going on. And when you have that willingness, everything becomes your teacher. Everything, every moment, every moment that you're, that you're present for your own experience in your heart or your body or in what's happening outside of you. It's all here asking, inviting you 
to discover it. That's the amazing thing, the mind-boggling thing, that, we, that life has this capacity to know itself. As uh, it says in this book, the, the Universe is a Green Dragon, um, we are, this human form, is a star's way of knowing itself. We're all made up of the stuff of stars. You know, we just broke off from it and then cooled off into a planet and, and into, into living organisms. So one way to think of it is we are a reflexive, a self-reflexive awareness that life can know itself through this amazing thing called consciousness. And we can know life not just through us, but through everything around us. There's this, uh, a quote from Kabir that I'll end this with. I, I didn't realize I was talking so long, but it's fun to, to play around with. Kabir says, when the eyes and ears are open, even the leaves on the trees teach like pages from the scriptures. It's here all the time. We just have to take a look. So, enough said by me. Let's take some time to see what it was like for your investigation process this week or anything that comes up from the talk. satisfy what you're asking, but I'll just give a response. Maybe sometimes you're not angry. Mm -hmm. That's one possibility. Maybe other times you're numb to what you're feeling. That's another possibility. There's no one who can give you the right answer. Um, What I find is as I'm more and more tuned in to what, to what is there, it leads me to the, next, to the next step of exploring. For instance, you might not be angry, but maybe there's a kind of melancholy at times. Or maybe there's a sadness. Or maybe there's depression, you know, which might 
to some extent, be covering up some things that aren't felt there. And what I would suggest, if you want to discover, say, through this process, is to sit, do a retreat, and if you are there sitting undistracted long enough, you'll find something. Something will come up. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's joy, maybe it's sadness, maybe it's uh, calm, whatever. It keeps on changing. There was a part in my time in my practice, the first few years of my practice, it just so happened that it was, by and large, quite enjoyable. And I was wondering, you know, there'd be these people cathartic in, in the room, and I thought I was missing something, you know, I wasn't getting my money's worth. And I would, I remember going to uh, my teacher saying, you know, hey, what's going on here? I'm, you know, I'm not getting into deep feelings. And he suggested, and it seemed like good advice, don't go looking for trouble. Trouble will, f- <laughs> uh, trouble will find you, you know, soon enough when he, he mentioned in trouble. And it was true, at, at some point, that, changed and there were some very deep feelings that I was experiencing. Anger and frustration and fear and all sorts of stuff. It emerges in its own time if you are willing to hang out here with it and not force the show your life will reveal itself to you. And so it seems to me that the the main task is just to, to listen with honesty, integrity and care to what's going on. Often one feeling moves into another and into another. So you might find this whole swell of anger, but not to stop there. Because as you go underneath that, it might lead to feelings of hurt, or sadness, or fear, or whatever, loss. And not to stop there, because that can lead to the other side, release enjoy it's not like you're finding this ultimate resting place we've got it all inside of us in in buddhist psychology there's 52 mental factors that's our our deck of cards you know that we have in our repertoire and we have different mixes of them and so it's not a, a matter of getting to the bottom of it it's a matter of letting it all be experienced as as it presents itself. Yeah. I wonder if you could address, uh, I was interested in that uh, thing you worked with last week of labeling pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how to use that in either the practice or daily life, how you, how you use that as a dynamic. <coughs> Just to, to do that, to label the flavor of experience, um, you know, say you're, say you're having a bummed out day. Okay? Now, before you get into the story of, oh, woe is me, and this is really terrible, and, blah, 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 and I don't like this, and when is it going to change? You, know, you might experiment with just noting unpleasant. That's what this is, unpleasant. It's calling it like it is in the the flavor mode, but it's just, it takes away the story around it. And it's it's easier not to get into a battle with it. Same thing with with pleasant. Say you're having a terrific time. Which is great, and I, you know, I wouldn't suggest that you stop yourself from enjoying it. But in the in in the moment, you might experiment at times with just remembering, oh, and here's a pleasant moment, and in that way, there's a kind of perspective and understanding where you can fully experience it, but no knowing, recognizing that this is a pleasant moment reminds you that that's just what's happening now and it's not going to last. And that doesn't have to be a source of, of despair or frustration. Actually, it, for me, it can 
allow me to appreciate it more and feel less frustration when it's gone. Is when the pleasant turns to, yeah, finally I got my life together, or this is, this is it, everything's been leading up to this. And then when it goes, you say, what happened there? You know, then there's real loss and despair. So just calling it a pleasant or unpleasant moment, it doesn't take, it aw take away, it just puts it in the context of process of experience. <laughs> because it, I mean, it changes, but you know, you might have a, a low feeling all day or mm -hmm. all morning or something. Mm -hmm. or do you, I'm just wondering the actual logistics. The logistics? Yeah. Uh, I would say experiment with it in different ways. It's pretty hard to be <coughs> continuously noting and still, you know, be here for your experience. You know, as you're as you're reading a good book, noting pleasant, pleasant, <laughs> pleasant, pleasant. It won't fit in there, you know. So I'd say as you're going through your day, be really natural and every now and then monitor the experience if you want to experiment with it as a practice. If you're doing a formal meditation, it can be very interesting to take one sitting or a period during a sitting and just note continuously. You see how quickly the flavor changes. It's, it's amazing. You try this next time you sit. Just do it even for 10 minutes. Okay? So there you are, sitting, neutral, neutral, unpleasant, 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 pleasant, 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 neutral, unpleasant. You just, you just see the, this passing show which we usually get into a reaction of, you know, yeah, i got to hold on to that, or oh, I don't want to... It's happening so fast, after a while you just give up. You know, forget it. Ah, I can just be here with it. Just feel the different flavors. So that would be a, a, a bit more of a formal practice. Yeah. Uh, uh, I had a, a really nice Now, the, the, the caveat there is if it or something else comes back again, to investigate it, but without the expectation that it will go. Because if you're looking at it in order for it to go, it won't. It knows. It, uh, you can't trick it with mindfulness. It's really a willingness for it to be however it is. And just in that allowing, things find their own natural course. It's, but it, that's a very common experience. Yeah. I had something like that. Uh, it, it did, this didn't go as, as fast as, as what you're saying. But I had this tendonitis in my hand, and it was, uh, it was, it was like this little bump. And I, I couldn't play guitar for like a week and a half. It was really frustrating. And, and it, it was just getting... It was, Staying the way it was or getting worse and worse, you know, I was just thinking, I've got to go to a doctor and I was going to be uh, setting up an appointment. And yesterday, it was gone. I woke up and I said, it's gone. How did that happen? It was mind-boggling, you know, how our bodies can heal themselves when we just create the conditions, or we don't create it any, when it, when it happens on its own, when it's meant to, to happen. And very often, when you look right at something, when you focus on it with interest and without an agenda, yeah, it changes. So that's neat. Okay. 
a last comment. Uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't give more time for discussion. Yeah. Um, this happened some time ago. But I find that uh, if I'm doing something and I'm annoyed with myself about it, uh, and just keep on doing it, I'll be annoyed. Um, then that's all it is that I'm annoyed. But I was leaving, um, I was going on a little trip, and it was taking me so long to get out of the house. I found that I was cleaning the whole house. <laughs> and I was getting increasingly annoyed with myself. And I stopped, and then, which was unusual, and just looked to see what this was all about. And then, as soon as I did that, it just came to me, I was anxious about me. I was making my house okay, so that if I never came back, uh, it would be proper for someone to come into it. Mm. And instead of being annoyed at myself, I was really appreciative of mm. 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 That's neat. So it just came to you in, in a, a sudden understanding. To stop being annoyed. Uh-huh. This is the secret, yeah. That's great. Well, I, I really encourage you. You can do this one more week, you know, <laughs> or one more lifetime. You know. Just look at your experience, not with a, a struggle, but with a curiosity. It, it really changes everything. And uh, we can take it one more week and... Uh, if you want to share more in your discussion, uh, I'd be interested. Okay, so let's close with our loving kindness. It's a little bit late. It'll be a short loving kindness. <coughs> As you sit here, feel your heart. Feel yourself alive. Breathe in through your heart. Imagine that. You can do that. And feel life coming through you. If you can feel the benevolence of the universe and your connection with it. That connection is love. You're not alone floating around in the universe, an island. You're connected to everything. Just feel that for a moment. Then send some love, some kind thoughts towards this being that the consciousness finds itself in, called me. May this consciousness, this life, be happy. (coughs) May I appreciate the connection to life. Feel that quality of love and connection. May I know the place of peace inside. May I let my curiosity reveal things, reveal the truth. And then extend those same thoughts out to include everyone here, everyone 
nearby in this neighborhood, people, and animals, insects, all life forms, and continue to expand out throughout this area and the state, the country, the continent, in all directions to all beings around the planet and beyond. As I want to be happy, may all beings be happy. As I want to feel the connection of love, may all beings feel their part in the universe and express their love. May all beings feel peace, know what real peace is inside. May all beings everywhere be happy. This talk was given by James Barris at Insight Meditation Society on March 25, 1993. It is an offering of the Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.